0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at
2: devo.com righty, here we go. This is the Defining Society podcast uh, once again with me, Marco Capelli, and uh, today I have a, a really, really a fantastic guest that we had the chance to chat a little bit before hitting the record button, and uh, he's he's like I want to I want to say he he comes from different culture, has a, a vision of the world that already fascinated me on top of being originally from one of my favorite countries in the world where a lot of culture actually comes together, which is Singapore. Uh, but it, like I said, he's been traveling, he's well known for uh, what he does, and uh, he's going to tell us what he does. His name is Emmanuel Daniel, and we're going to talk about his book called The Great Transition, The Personalization of Finance is Here. So I think it's going to be a very global conversation, touching on culture, touching on technology, and of course, on our everyday life as human. So let's start with the the human in the conversation. Emmanuel, welcome to the show.
3: Marco, thank you for having me on. I'm a fan of uh, the conversations you've had with other people. Um, Thank you. Yeah.
2: I'm very honored to hear that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, Emmanuel Daniel is uh, the founder of uh, something called The Asian Banker. Uh, I started it in Singapore 28, 29 years ago now, 1996, so counting. And um, in, the, in, in, the, in the time, in, in that time, 20, 28, 29 years, uh, we've ceased to be Asian and we've ceased to be banker. So, you know, like today I'm talking to you from Dubai, where we have an office from where we reach out to Africa, for example. And uh, I spent some time in Nigeria, in South, Af- South Africa, in Uganda and so on. Uh, and uh, we become more global because, um, you know, the transformations taking place in the banking and finance industry is global. Uh, and despite being called the Asian banker, in fact, you'll notice on my book, uh, the, the two people who wrote the forward, I'm, I'm happy to say, uh, one of whom is uh, Barney Frank, the, the co-author, the, the former congressman who was the co-author of the Dodd-Frank Act, which... Um, you know, which regulates pretty much uh, all of uh, the U.S. banking industry. And he's a personal friend of mine, uh, you know, and, and a very dear personal friend of mine. Uh, and, uh, and, and and he wrote a very cantankerous uh, foreword uh, because you're always arguing about, um, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies and, and decentralized finance. Uh, he belongs to the old school and, and all that. But I still wanted him to be the one to write the the forward uh, because i wanted to capture a little bit of the sense of uh, the industry and the reason he's my friend is because uh like him and you know several of the uh you know in- incredible personalities in the u.s banking system i get to know them because when they visit asia i have them all to myself uh, <laughs> and so that's how that's how the the friendship start okay so uh and and we're called the asian banker and we're no longer banker either because uh, so much is happening in the decentralized uh, finance world, and so um, maybe about 15 years ago, I, I first started, um, you know, uh, honing in on the notion that I must write a book. Um, but I want I didn't wanted to make it a book that was um, substantive and it was, um, you know, useful, uh, you know, to the industry. So it took me. It was writing the book in itself was a journey. Uh, in trying to make sense of what innovation in finance is and how to wrap our minds around the new things that are happening in finance. Uh, and so the final product was, uh, is, is very much uh, a book about how to think about where finance is taking us. And so the final conclusion that I have in my book is that um, the personalization of finance is here. And what that means is uh, we are fast coming to the day when technically we do not need intermediaries uh, in our financial interactions, that Marco and I can you know, give money to each other, lend to each other, uh, invest in each other without an intermediary, without a financial institution. And then for that, we have to ask what do financial institutions really do? Um, you know, so the, the, the cover of my book has a, has a picture of a, a cube of ice. And what I'm trying to say is uh, there was a time when ice used to be, you know, sawn out of the lakes of Michigan, when, and and so on, and put on horse-drawn carriages and taken to the city. Um, you know, uh, that's roughly what happens to your money in your wallet today. It it, uh, it swirls around the world twice. It's subject to inflation, exchange rates, uh, you know, bank charges, security, a whole range of things. So we we are really not uh, in control of money uh, like we like to think we are, uh, and we are quickly coming to a to a point where in payments, in wealth management, uh, we are increasingly in control uh, of uh, how we handle our money. Now, a lot has to happen between now and the day when the, when, final, when personalization finally arrives. Uh, but just by putting in place uh, several principles, uh, I'm trying to help uh, the general reader actually, uh, but also the the banking i'm I'm trying to help the general reader, but I'm also challenging the banking industry that uh, in in how they need to think about uh, you know disruptive changes and 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 where uh, and what they need to do. Um, you know so for the general reader, you you find that uh, there are some uh, important um, um, you know um, uh, parts that the journey has to take. And one of it is, I'm saying that, uh, that the platform era uh, is uh, fraying at its edges. Uh, it's coming to an end, uh, and we're entering in technology terms, okay, not in financial uh, industry terms. We are now entering a phase uh, where there's greater personalization in technology. Um, you know, So everything that we know about what's being discussed in Web 3 and Web 3.0, which are really two different things, um, the the battle to to take transactions off, uh, you know, the HTTP that as we know it to be, uh, uh, and put it onto you know blockchains or crypto or tokens, uh, and then to enable people to to transact uh, to value with each other uh, and and also exist in multiple realities. Uh, you know that that phase is underway at the moment. Um, last year was the first year that Facebook said that it started to see a de- decline in the number of total users. Now, some of the decline is being captured by, say, TikTok. But as Facebook had ten, you know, about 15 years uh, of a run, uh, TikTok will have a shorter run because um, Facebook actually started uh, in, in the desktop era. And it almost didn't make the transition into mobile. In fact, the Chinese players were quicker on mobile than uh, than uh, than the original desktop players. Okay, Facebook and all the others, um, even Amazon, right? Uh, it 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 had to create new interfaces uh, when it moved into mobile, and and also the whole relationship uh, changes. And now we're entering yet another phase, which is. Uh, Internet of Things, where not all transactions uh, need to be centered on the mobile device. Uh, they will increasingly be uh, be distributed, and the distributed um, data points are all going to collate so much data uh, that's going to become valuable to the financial services industry. So you see how I'm constructing the whole story of the future of finance? Um and from there, we can we, we then can start seeing uh, yet another point that I'm making in the book, which is the financialization of everything. Um, and well, here-
2: I'm going to stop you for a second here because okay. you, you've already thrown so many uh, you know, different aspects that is going to affect um, our life. It's already affecting our life. And I keep asking myself when you start that you say, you know, I've been brewing this idea of this book for many, many years. And I'm thinking like, if you wrote this book, let's say 10 years ago, or even 20 years ago, you you could not write this book, probably the way that you're writing it now, because technology has been going so fast. And even the concept of, you know, Web 3.0 and and blockchain and all of that, it's it's very still hard to comprehend for the for the normal user, probably thinking, like, what does it mean, you know, if you want to use the metaphor of the ice, now I'm making the ice in my own house versus not relying on on, on a big distribution, it. right? And and if I think about the bank's birth during the Renaissance with the Medici family and, and how they conceived the idea of, well, the money doesn't really need to be in that bank. It could be a ledger between to bank. So take all of this and take it now into AI, mobile. <laughs> I mean, how do you see, and then we go back into the technology that you see allowing all of this. but how is do you see the users adapting to this? Because I feel like there is an entire generation shift here from analogs to digital natives. And and now blockchain natives. Well, maybe no. The older generation is not really ready for this. So I don't know. What what do you see to be the the? I'm going to say the the adoption of all of this by everyone.
3: You know. this first book was actually my the second book I had in my head, but I needed to get it out because I was in the banking industry, uh, and I really need to have a, you know, had, a, had to have a cathartic, cathartic, uh, uh, you know, experience of just uh, getting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, now the so I've got the book out right, and and now I'm writing my first book as a second book right, which is uh, the I uh, call the, the you know the 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 winning civilization, which is uh, how society itself is evolving.
2: Um, mm.
3: That's the original idea I had, uh, which is that society as a whole, with or without technology, uh, was increasingly becoming um, individualistic. Uh, central, you know, uh, the, the me factor was becoming huge. Uh, in fact, by the way, there is already a book in the market. Uh, it's called The Sovereign Individual, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Someone pointed it out to me. And I looked at it as, oh, my goodness, uh, they've thought about the same. I mean, there are other people thinking about the same idea as I, I am, uh, except that when I wrote my book, I, had fit, I completed my book when I came across that book uh, and they said nothing about finance. And so uh, and, and the, the idea that, you know, two different groups of people could be thinking about the same thing, but from different angles uh, was very good, um, you know, but uh, in terms of civilization itself, uh, no, the short story is this: uh, civilization, as it was in the Bronze Age in the Mediterranean Basin, we were highly communal. Uh, you know, and then, or oh, not we, I wasn't there, or not, you know, from that part of the world. But, but uh, society, I mean, civilization was, you know, very communal. Uh, the, you know, the the Greeks, the the, the Romans, and, and and so on. Uh, the more north it went, it became increasingly individualistic, and and partially because of the geography, um, the, the population started to decrease. It gets colder, um, you know, the greater reliance on yourself, um, and and then uh, you know by the time it goes to Germany and and um, you know the Calvinists and uh, and Martin Luther putting up. Uh, the 1990s thesis in the wall, saying that religion is a uh, personal relationship between God and man, no longer you know something that the church is an intermediary of uh, was a was a revolutionary idea, uh, and that started the Protestant movement, and then it uh, you know it went up even north, even more north uh, to the Scandinavian countries, and then west to Netherlands and and the UK, which then exported it. Now. What the U.S. is is the um, the, the logical uh, conclusion of a civilization that had become increasingly individualistic, uh, and so the Calvinists, Calvinist uh, to them individualism means accountability and a relationship with God. Uh, by the time it reaches the U.S., um, you know, uh, 200 years ago, and then today, uh, it's self-gratification and consumption. Um, you know, so so this this march towards individualism uh, is continuing, and technology is just um, you know abating it. Um, you know, so so the thing is that um, the, um, the society needs to start thinking how to uh, deal with how to govern uh, and create accountability uh in uh in a in a world that is definitely becoming highly individualistic uh mm. and today we have the technology that is uh you know uh right. uh you know yeah. baking it right now
2: i i love how you explain this with this you know going really back back in time and really telling you know this is just us being human right so as you're explaining all of this in my head i'm i'm thinking about one point that you make in the book, which is the financialization of everything. Because even when we were talking about individuality, I'm thinking like, what is that allow us to be individual is the fact that we have a way to make transactions that are not, I give you a sheep and you give me grain, right? It's, I give you money. So the finance, in a way, the money, it's kind of what keep things together, even when they're separate. And so I'm thinking, like, ca- can you explain this concept of your finance, you know, make- making everything, it. yeah, the finalization? Um, you, will,
3: you, will, you will already start hearing analysts uh, in the U.S. talking about this from a very different angle, but it's the same thing, which is that. The US GDP used to be uh, hard industries, manufacturing uh, services and so on. Uh, Increasingly, finance is becoming an increasingly important part. The number is between 8% and 21% of the GDP. Um, Now, the thing is that, and in the last, um, you know, in the year 2013, the BEA, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, uh, started tweaking uh, the definition of what GDP constitutes, and that includes digital assets. That includes, um, um, you know, production of uh, entertainment, uh, movies, uh, stuff like that, right? So we we are becoming increasingly ephemeral. Now, mm. what's happening in the markets uh, is that the markets are. Uh, increasingly looking for new data to trade on to create more markets okay and where is this data going to come from it's going to come from all kinds of data capturing devices around the world in fact it was you know far back in 2014 that uh, Jeff emmelt GE he said in the future GE is not going to be um, a, a manufacturing company we, we our most important asset uh, is going to be the data that is generated from all the manufacturing activities that we have, and then today you see the Tesla car. Uh, that's a data machine, um, mm. you know, that uh, that consumes and creates and uses uh, tons of data, and a lot of that data uh, can be uh, put on 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 markets uh, that is tradable uh, for by people who need to, you know, either trade in them or buy and sell them uh, and use them for other purposes. Um, you know, so um, so anything. Okay, what I say in my book is anything that can be digitized can be made into data, and anything that can be made into data can be financialized. So anything that can be digitized wow. can be financialized. Okay, okay? Uh, and and uh, some of the analysts, I think uh, Kathy Wood, for example, out in California where you live, uh, she, she says that she and a couple of people uh, say say that. It is not inconceivable that the U.S. GDP, which is now at $21 trillion, can become $45 trillion in the next 10 to 15 years uh, just on the uh, proliferation uh, of a financialized economy. Um, you know, and when you take, take uh, all that is traded in the digital world, in the metaverse, uh, all of that is going to be start to be considered uh, as economic activity, uh, and then you start seeing a very different picture of what the economy is really all all about. Um, you know, so so that's what I mean by the financialization of everything. Now, not everything will be successfully financialized, uh, but the world will go through a process of trying to financialize as much as possible. Uh, so the the uh, the the allegory that I gave in the book was. Um, I think it was Jared Diamond who who said in his book that um, uh, you know men tried to uh, tame uh, uh, all the animals possible in the world, but only about 17 uh, of the large animals above 100 kilograms were tameable uh, because uh, of different reasons. You know, the zebra wasn't tameable because it's a nervous creature, the lion wasn't tame because it was uh, it consumes too much, uh, you know, the output, the input is too much, uh, you know, not relative to, not not uh, consumerism, con, uh, not uh, um, you know, not equal to the output, uh, stuff like that. So so we will go through a process uh, of trying to financialize many things and then come to a kind of a plateau where uh, we start to understand what can be financialized, mm. uh, what can't. And that's what I mean by the financialization of everything.
2: Wow. Yes. I, that's a good metaphor right there. And I'm also thinking, what's the role of the big institution? Like you talk about the big animal, right? The elephants and so forth, you know, and, and of course I think about, you know, the big banking, the big organization, are they the one that are actually pushing towards this transformation? Have they been resisting this transformation because it takes things away from them or who's driving what and how is this, banking traditional banking institution because when you read the news many times like the regulation wants to get on the blockchain i mean on not on blockchain but on the cryptocurrency many time crypto is the the depicted the, the as risky investment as black market used for nefarious activity it's not really in a really good light but but I know that the future is there. You know that the future is there. So what what is the what is the dynamic there between resisting change and pushing change?
3: You know, in 190, if you looked at any photograph, you can Google right now to look at it. Any photograph of New York City in 1901, you'll see that there were lots of horse-drawn carriages and then <laughs> one little. Uh, motor vehicle, okay. It was a,
2: <laughs> one, little like, <laughs> one little
3: car. One little car. Motor vehicle, okay. Not even car. You you can't even call it. Yeah, a, well, yeah. Because it was it, it. They made it. They tried to make it look like a horse drawn carriage. with a motor, you know, and just one, okay. And then everything else. And it was a nuisance because it stood in the way. It was heavy. It was noisy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not necessarily comfortable. It was slow, uh, you know. And then you take you you then Google and say New York. Um, you know, 1920, you know, and it's just, no, 1910, okay, not, not even 1920, it was just the opposite. Everybody else had a car and, and, uh, and the horse-drawn carriage was like maybe one, you know, in, yeah. in the way, and you'd find some old-timers who would like to have it, uh, have one. In fact, today, you still find horse-drawn carriages in New York, except that it's for the tourists. It's um, novelty. You know, <laughs> you know, so the, the transition that, that the banking industry goes through is like this. Uh, You know, you and I like to travel, macro, and and you said this to me, uh, you know, that you've been to Singapore and all that. And every time we go to a new city, we find that, um, you know, there will always be this historical building that used to be the tallest building in town. Maybe it's a church cathedral, uh, you know, and then now they've got, you know, 100-story buildings right right next to that, and, and it shrinks everything down. The banking industry is exactly that. Uh, the largest bank in the world today is five trillion dollars uh, in total assets. The 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 uh, asset management companies, okay, BlackRock is eleven trillion dollars. Um, you know, so the the industry has changed dramatically. And sure, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies about two trillion dollars right now, uh, but they are growing. Right, so uh, they're more chic, they're more uh, contemporary, uh, and they occupy uh, you know a different part of town, and, and um, you know with all the promise of, of being able to grow further. So um, so our focus is that oh you know what's going to happen to the banking industry? Uh, it's already started happening. Um, you know the the corporate lending market, the commercial paper market, is bigger than bank lending to corporations. Uh, you know, anywhere in the U.S. and definitely in many other countries as well, uh, the stock market has has started to, um, you know, taper off. In that, in that, since I think about 1995, uh, you know, it, it it hasn't grown very much. Uh, the number of uh, companies that take the 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 public uh, route to raising capital uh, have sort of tapered off. So. So things are already changing on the balance sheet front, uh, on the business model front, uh, and the proliferation of new players. Uh, then the question is, uh, which which field do you want to play in, uh, and 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 generate your wealth and and, and create your own uh, your own portfolio. Uh, you know, so if you if you still think that the banking industry is what serves your need. Uh, uh, even that is changing, um, you know, so I have my own because of the way I think I I could see um, something like Silicon Valley Bank coming to ha- happening. In fact, I say in my book, um, when I when I was in, in 2017, I gave a speech and I said, um, you know, the Kodak industry, um, Kodak as a company. Practically invented the, the the digital film in 1997, and it's a guy who actually made made the camera, and it was the size of a toaster at that time, right? But um, but it was the one company that couldn't figure out um, could you know how to transition out of the product it loved the most, which mm. was the 35 mm uh, film box. Yeah. You know and then what happened was 2000 2000, Sony came up with a, with a cyber shot, 2007, the iPhone perfected the you know camera on the phone, and 2010, um, uh, Kodak went into bankruptcy. Um, so then I asked myself, uh, what would be a similar product that is beloved by the bank or the banking industry, uh, that you wouldn't imagine will turn in on them? And I said in my book. In, uh, which was published last year in October, September, uh, that, that it would be the deposit industry. Uh, and that's exactly what happened uh, to Silicon Valley Bank, which is uh, the deposit, there's such a thing as excess deposits, uh, and there's such a thing as a mix, mismatch of funds. Uh, and, and there is such a thing that if you don't know how to get out of the deposit business, it has it got the ability to kill you uh, as a bank. So the industry has changed on itself. The, the, the very core of the, the, the products that, that define the industry are today uh, fully capable of uh, destroying the industry because they're digital uh, and, and they serve a different purpose.
2: What, what, a, what a great way to think about progress and inventing the same thing that's going to ruin your company because you can't figure out what to do with it. It's it's crazy starting to think about that. Uh, I find this whole conversation fascinating, and I know we're just touching on small elements, but you're doing a fantastic job in giving the big picture. And I'm scrolling through all the, the chapter and the paragraph you have in the book, and everything could be a question, but we don't have three, four hours. (laughs) So I would like to take this last few minutes that we have maybe uh, with the chapter number eight, the one that you call reimagining the product because it, it gives me a way to ask my favorite question, which is about the future. So how do you see transforming the future, especially if you can make some example of how you see people changing their own daily way to do transaction. I mean, we already know we're not really going to the bank. I don't even remember the last time I went to the bank, <laughs> physically to the bank, right? I mean, I know it's there, but um, what other big changes do you see in this transition into personalization, personal financing, and, and digitalization? I mean, what's what's the world going to look like uh, on an everyday basis? Are we going to do everything on your phone? Uh, you know, give us a, a futuristic look on what society will be in... um... Yeah, so,
3: you know, uh, it depends on who I'm speaking to. If I'm speaking to the people in the industry, especially uh, the fintech people, right, the the people in financial technology, um, who thought 10 years ago that they were going to disrupt the industry, that that banks will be dinosaurs, and it'll be over. But that's not what happened. Today, uh, just about every fintech company wants to become a bank. And then you ask yourself, Hey, what happened? You know, uh, you were supposed to, this thing was supposed to get transformed. Um, and what happened uh, was that the fintech industry was defining the products in the same language as the bankers. So, mm. so like in peer to peer, for example, um, you know, peer to peer, they call it lending. Uh, and and uh, once you call it lending and you call it a mortgage, Uh, you fall into the same trap and the same regulatory requirements that a bank does. So uh, it is not surprising that uh, the peer-to-peer players ended up becoming like a bank. Uh, But in the future, with a lot of data being transmitted uh, uh, between uh, users directly uh, and and also between institutions, uh, we're going to get a very nuanced view of each other. Um, And with a nuanced view, what we consider to be assets are going to change. Okay, so so what I'm saying is that and this is for your wealth management, uh, you know, uh, viewers and 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 um, and, and uh, listeners. Um, what is going to change is that the idea of assets are going to change. Assets are number one going to be ephemeral. In other words, they're not going to be backed by any underlining, um, you know, real assets like like a house, for example. So, uh, you know, and especially with the new generations, we call them Gen Z, whatever, um, they are willing to own assets for short periods of time, uh, they're willing to share assets, um, you know, and and uh, and trade assets uh, regularly. Uh, it becomes a fashion statement rather than a uh, a lifelong commitment of sorts, um, you know. So as we move into that realm, uh, the way in which we think of wealth has to change as well.
2: Wow, that's uh, that's that's a big thought right there. The, the changing. What used to be valuable and, and, and you were working for the house that was forever, right? Or the asset that was forever. And you realize that change is the only constant, really. And you you just move it around. The, the entire idea of owning things, I think it's uh, it's change. Like, you know, we don't own the car anymore. We lease the car. We just use it when we need it. You said sharing it. I mean, you go back a few years and you, you bring up this concept to... I don't know. An older generation, they'll be like, "Are you crazy?" Absolutely not. But now we are sharing rights. We are sharing, you know, uh, Airbnb. We're sharing homes, <laughs> literally. So that's. And that's the more lot.
3: data you have, the more uh, it's easier it is to swap in and out of assets. Uh, mm, you yeah. So so you know the the same data that's created ChatGPT, for example. Uh, we're, we're trying to wrap our minds around it and say, "Oh my goodness, it's so much data. What do we do with it?" Uh, it's because there's so much data. You can walk in and out of it. Uh, you know, you 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 can define your relationships uh, more nuanced. You know, like like if you wanted a thirty-year mortgage, you can now break it down to ten different portions uh, with with you know with different types of lenders and so on, uh, and and live your life. Uh, you know, and. Uh, and, and, and have
2: something that is no longer called a mortgage, you know. Wow. So so much to think about. Uh, Emmanuel, I, I really appreciate you coming here. And, and again, I, you just accomplish what I want to accomplish for me on, on the show, which is making people think, right? I want people to think more and ask more questions now if they stick with listening to what we talked about then when they started this conversation, because there's a lot of question, a lot of understanding and knowledge to acquire. So I would suggest, of course, people to uh, l- l- read the book, The Great Transition, uh, The Personalization on Finance is here. And of course, there will be links uh, to your website, to your social media, to the book itself in the notes for this show. And uh I just invite people to get in touch with you. And please, when you have that next book, uh, I really want to talk about that too, because that sounds really, really fascinating to me. So, Emmanuel, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Marco. Thank you for this conversation.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Stay tuned, subscribe, and share this conversation if you find it interesting. Stay tuned for the next one. See ya.
1: Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. Bugcrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable, contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers. To help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities. Protect customers and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at... BlackCloak.io.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity and society.